It's great to see all of you here on our campus. Let me welcome everybody joining us online. And uh, I'm glad you're here. We are kicking off a brand new series today called On the Edge. I'm excited to share with you about that. But before we get to that, uh, I wanna wrap up our Right Now teaching series and our Right Now special Christmas offering. We entered into this back in the end of November. Those of you who call New Hope Home, you know this. Um, if you're new, if you're a guest, welcome. Um, we're kind of taking care of a little family business here before I jump into the message today. So here's how this worked. We took about eight, 10 weeks and challenged everybody who calls New Hope home to give sacrificially to our right now special offering for five ministry initiatives in the new year. And we set a really ambitious goal of $500,000 uh, to go towards building the kitchen at Jehovah Nissi in the DR, uh, renovating our indoor playground space here for kids ministry and student ministry space, uh, stewarding the New Hope worship music that God has entrusted us with, continuing to partner with our local mission partners and then reach, teach, and release in new ways and greater ways and in 2024. And so the offering went through the end of January, which was this past week, and um, I decided to, to cheat a little bit. And so I hope that's okay with everybody. And what I mean by that is we left the offering up through... Um, further than January 31st, okay? So it's the first Sunday of February. And the reason why I did that is because we were really close. And I checked with our finance team and they were like, we're about you know, $30,000 um, close to the goal. And I was like, man, that's awesome. I was like, you know, we'll leave it open you know, for one more Sunday. I don't think people will boo. I don't think they'll get too terribly upset. And so we'll kind of see how that works, okay? So when I came here today, like I had a number in mind and I shared that number with the nine o'clock service. But see, technology is always working, y'all. It's always doing its thing, right? right? Whether we know it or not. So between the services, our finance team, a couple of members, they stopped me like, hey, we have a new number for you to share. And I like new numbers. And so you're the first to hear this. All right. So you guys as a church family to our special offering again, gold $500,000 gave $501,000. So can we celebrate that? So that fires me up, that fires me up. I mean, let's just pray and go home, right? No, we're not gonna do that, okay? <laughs> but since the decision's already been made and since this is all about being generous, I would be remiss if I didn't let you know that it is gonna be available through the end of the day, all right? <laughs> so if you wanna keep being generous, you keep being generous. But we hit our goal and we praise God. And we will keep you posted throughout this year as we start doing some of these initiatives and all the stuff, but my goodness, I mean, when we set that goal, we had no idea and God just continues to part his favor. But hey, rest assured, part of God pouring out his favor is us stepping into that through obedience. And so thank you for your generosity. So uh, let me shift gears now and uh, talk about this series. It's a five-week series and uh, we're gonna be talking about something that's not always the funnest topic to talk about, which is pain, but it's actually something that once we kind of get past that, we recognize we all deal with it, we all understand it. And the good news for us is that God's word has a lot to say about it. And so while we're talking about pain in this series, at the end of the day, this series really is a series about hope. So let me just encourage you up top to make it a commitment to be a part of all five weeks. This really is going to be one sermon preached over five weeks. We can't really address all of the different components of pain and what leads us to there and how we can experience healing in just one message. And so they're gonna kind of tie together. And so I, wanna, I want you to be a part of this, either here on our campus or joining us online if you can't be here for whatever reason. So let me tell you where we're gonna start today. It's something that I think we all can identify with. And I hope that by the end of our time, you see some hope in this. We're gonna talk about how we can actually find purpose in the pain of the past. 
And uh, all of us have a past. All of us have things that we wrestle with and struggle with. And we're, sometimes we're not even sure what to do with. And we're gonna be in Philippians chapter three where we're gonna meet a guy who had a past. And I believe that his past was something that he had to deal with for just about every day of his life. Because in case no one's told you this lately, the enemy will use your past. He likes to bring up your past. And uh, as an old preacher told me when I was a little kid one time, I was sitting in church and he, he said this. So I'm just going to rip it off right now because I like it. He said, hey, when the enemy reminds you about your past, you just remind him of his future. That'll preach, y'all. That'll preach, okay? His old preachers, man, they had it down, all right? But he's going to do that. And he did that with Paul. Now, for those of us who maybe have been in church for longer than five minutes, like Paul, like he's like super Christian Paul. Like he wrote more books in the Bible than anybody else. And if you're new to the Bible, that's true. And when he wrote these books in the New Testament, he wrote them as letters inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then they were circulated among churches. And now we have them in our New Testament. But see, he wasn't always Paul, author of books in the New Testament. He had been Saul before he was Paul. Paul had a radical conversion experience. Jesus literally met him and said, you're no longer gonna be Saul, you're going to be Paul, and I'm going to use you to spread the good news of the gospel message. And this was a shift for Paul because see, as Saul, he had been a persecutor of Christians. He had literally been the person who would oversee the execution of Christians. And I believe that for all of Paul's life, the enemy did whatever he could to try to get Paul to go back in his mind and in his heart and with his emotions to his past. And so as Paul writes in Philippians that we're going to look at today, he begins to share some language with us about perhaps some things he's dealt with in the past, how God has brought him through that, and now what it's looking like as he moves forward. And so it's only six verses. And what we're going to do is we're going to work our way through it kind of slowly. I'm going to read a couple of verses at a time. I'll give you an application. And I think at the end of our time, we're going to see how we can actually find some purpose in the pain of our past. And so let's get started. In Philippians chapter three, verses 10 and 11, Paul says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Which is interesting for Paul to say, I want to know Christ, because I just told you how he met Christ. Jesus came after him. So when Paul says, I want to know Christ, he's not describing his conversion experience. He's actually expressing a longing for more. And if you're a Christ follower, this is a really good template for us. We experience conversion. Maybe you're not a Christ follower yet. I believe that God has you here today by divine appointment. And what I want you to see is that for those of us who have experienced conversion, what we recognized was we actually didn't have it all together. We struggled with something called sin. We believe Jesus paid the price for it. That's good news. He then defeated death. That matters because, see, the only person who can offer us eternal life is the person who defeated death, okay? And so we know Christ through conversion, through being born again, through getting saved. We use a number of terms to express this experience and describe this experience. But see, there's also then the rest of our life here on earth where there should be a longing to continue to know Christ, to grow in our understanding of him. This is relational language. This is experiential language. And Paul is writing Philippians from jail. He's in jail and he's in Rome and things are not going well. And a lot of Philippians is Paul expressing a heart to know Jesus in greater ways. And so if you read through Philippians and you're walking through difficult seasons, you can begin to see, yes, 
I need to know Jesus in greater ways for him to pull me through this. But in saying he wants to know Christ, he does something really interesting that I can't find anywhere else in the New Testament. He takes these two phrases, the power of the resurrection and participation and suffering, and he actually ties those two phrases together in a way to try to show us that this is actually how we can know Jesus in greater ways. And so if you're taking notes, here's the first application I believe for us today. You see, experiencing the power of the resurrection is directly connected to participating with our suffering. Someone says participating with suffering, participation in suffering, like that's not even a phrase we use. And it's not a phrase we use because suffering and pain is something that we like to avoid. So when pain rises to the surface in our life, when we go through seasons of suffering, what we would rather do is ignore it, kind of push it away, maybe even blame someone else for it, right? Find a number of different things to do with it, but participate with it, like lean into it, wrestle with it. We're not even sure what that phrase means. We're certainly not sure if we can do that in church, but that's what Paul says we're supposed to do. That if we wanna see the power of the resurrection, we gotta participate with suffering. Thankfully for us, Jesus gives us an example to follow. Matthew chapter 26 tells the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So this is the night before he gets arrested. He goes to this garden. He takes his closest friends with him, the disciples, and he asks them to pray for him as he goes to pray with God, his heavenly father. He comes out after some time from the garden and he finds his friends are asleep. They can't even stay awake. So he's like, hey, can you guys wake up and pray for me again? He goes back to the garden, prays some more, comes back. They have fallen asleep a second time. If you have bad friends, Jesus understands, all right? He understands. His friends couldn't stay awake, okay? Goes in the third time to pray. And this third time, he literally says to God, if there's any other way for us to do this, can we figure that out? Jesus knew he was about to go to the cross. And Jesus didn't fear death. And Jesus was not backing down from a beating. Jesus knew what this meant, that he would have to experience separation from his father. The Bible says he was sweating blood. This is suffering. This is pain. And yet in that prayer, Jesus says, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And there's something that happens with Jesus and his heavenly father in that experience that in many ways, I believe, is what gave him the strength to see the cross through to its completion. Now, what's interesting about this whole story is that when Jesus emerged from the garden, he he didn't share like a great spiritual truth for somebody to learn. He didn't deliver a sermon. He didn't give a parable. He didn't say something that the the guys who wrote the gospels would, would record so that later they could revisit. That's not how it went down. Rather, he had experienced a side of God that he needed to experience. It was an experiential side of God. It was a relational side of God in the midst of his suffering. And for a lot of us, We've walked through pain or we're walking through pain or maybe we've experienced the loss of something or the death of something. It could be maybe the death of someone. It could be the death of a dream, the death of a relationship, the death of of, of something that you really hoped was going to happen and and you're stuck with that and you're stuck with the pain and you're stuck with the suffering and you're not exactly sure what to do with it. 
And what we see from this example is that when Jesus suffered, he actually participated with that a little bit. He actually leaned into it a little bit. But we've never really been taught how to do that, so we just move through life, and for many of us, here's what life becomes, a series of ungrieved losses, just one after the other. And we eventually get to a place where that pain is there, and we're not sure what to do with it, so sometimes we start to treat that in some unhealthy ways. But if you begin to participate with your sufferings, rest assured what will become inevitably noticeable in your life is that the pain is actually a little more real than perhaps you even saw before. And as we continue in the passage, that's what we're gonna see. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained all of this or arrived at my goal. Paul's like, I'm a work in progress. I like that Paul admitted that. But I press on, interesting phrase, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So there's some power of the resurrection that a lot of times we don't experience. The resurrection is just what gets us to heaven one day. We don't experience the power today. If we're gonna experience that, we're gonna have to participate with some suffering. And then we're gonna have to recognize that eventually we have to press on. And so here's the second application for us today. You see, pressing on only happens when we get the pain out. It's impossible to press on in life in a healthy way unless you get the pain out. And when you engage these things, when you engage your past, let me tell you what's gonna happen, pain. God wants the pain to rise to the surface, but he doesn't want you just to stay there and live in the pain. In fact, one of the things I hope we can see in this series is that pain is actually a blessing. Pain is God's way of letting you know something needs to be addressed. It's how he wired us, it's how he created us. And we know this with our bodies. Like if something hurts on our body, we know that that pain is letting us know that we need to address something. So we get that with our physical bodies. We're just not really sure what to do with that emotionally or what to do with that at a soul level. But if we can understand that with our bodies, maybe it helps us when we begin to talk about pain at a, at a deep level in our hearts. So let me see if I can illustrate. So uh, my first known memory what happened when I was three years old. And after I tell you this first known memory, you're gonna see I probably need to unpack this with a therapist. But this is my first known memory. Um, I was hopping around one night, putting on my pajamas, like on one leg, hopping around like that, like a monkey. And, and kind of the weight of my body like twisted and I lost my balance. And when I fell to the ground, it, my knee got dislocated. So it dislocated my knee, right? So my parents come in, they find me screaming there with a dislocated knee. And so uh, they take me to the emergency room and the doctors do what they do when you dislocate your knee. I'll leave out the details, all right? So they do that. They're like, he's fixed, he's good to go. But like I kept screaming and crying about this pain in my leg. And so they're like, well, maybe we should take an x-ray. So they take an x-ray and they're like, well, it kind of looks like maybe there's a hairline fracture above his kneecap. We'll take another x-ray. Well, they take another x-ray. Oh, his femur snapped in half, yeah. That was an amazing reaction, thank you. <laughs> and it's cheaper than therapy, so I appreciate that, all right? <laughs> so my femur snaps in half. Now, let me tell you what they did in 1982 if you were three years old and you snapped your femur in half. Now, I hope somebody has figured out something better, but back in the day, what they did and what they did to me, did I mention this is my first memory? What they did to me <laughs> is they put me in a body cast, like a whole, like a mummy, like literally. From here down both legs and to my elbows, I was in a body cast. You're not supposed to laugh right now, okay? But I was in a body cast 
And literally, for the next 12 weeks, this was my existence. My parents would put me in a wagon, stomach down with my head hanging out the back. Just pull me around, right? Just pull me around. Hey, do you see the trees? No, I see the grass, but that's kind of how I had to do things for about 12 weeks, okay? It was terrible. It's terrible, awful. And when they finally took this body cast off, I had forgotten how to walk. And so then... I'm not gonna illustrate, but I would put my two hands down with my one good leg and I would hop around dragging the bad leg, bad leg behind me. I really looked like a monkey now. Like that's what I had to do. It was awful. My grandmother would bribe me with candy to walk the right way. It's a whole thing, all right? So I finally learned how to walk again and you know, I think I've gotten through most of that. But anyway, if somebody would have seen my parents pulling me around in that little wagon and said, hey, What's his problem? I mean, he's being a wimp. He needs to get up and get out there and play with the rest of the kids. I mean, seriously, like a body cast? Like, does he, everybody be like, what on earth are you talking about? Like, clearly this child can't do anything. He has sustained a major injury. And for some of you, that's what's happened with you at a soul level. Something happened in your life. It was incredibly traumatic. Abuse, neglect, abandonment. But what life demands of you is that you get back in the game. And you just kind of act like nothing happened. And we would never expect somebody who's gone through a major injury to just get back in the game or get back on the playground and act like nothing happened. But, but the way our world works, we don't know what to do with wounds at a soul level. So we just kind of do something about it. That's seldom healthy. You know, sometimes people have injuries that aren't as significant as snapping a femur in half. Like you'll see a multi-millionaire, multi-millionaire football player not playing a game because of turf toe. Really? Really? Your toe, you can't play football because of a toe. But you know what? If you've ever had turf toe, you can't play football because of a turf toe. But it's not an easy injury to identify. A guy standing on the sideline, cutting up with his buddies, you're like, get in the game. And he can't because he's hindered by this minor injury. And for some of you, that's your story. Like, you didn't have a major thing happen to you, but life has thrown a number of turf toe injuries your way at a soul level. And they've just compounded and they've built upon one another. And now you're at a place where you've got this pain and you're not sure what to do with it. So whether it was a major wound that caused the pain or a series of minor wounds that caused the pain, you're at a place of pain. And here's what God wants you to see. The pain is a blessing. And if you want to press on, you're going to have to deal with this pain. The challenge is in our world, there are a number of ways to deal with the pain a number of substances, a number of experiences that many people step into and all it does is make that worse. And so if you've got pain from something that happened in your life, instead of continuing maybe to kind of push it back down, maybe over the course of these next several weeks, you could actually let that rise to the surface, lean into it a little bit and see how God wants to move you from the pain. Let's keep going. Verse 13 and 14. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ 
Jesus. I love that Paul makes this shift. He's like, look, man, some things have happened and that's part of me, but man, I'm gonna keep going and I'm gonna press on and I'm going to strain on. And what Paul's saying is, I may not ultimately get to where I wanna go, but I can tell you this, it won't be because of my past. And I think this is the third thing that we can see from this passage today, which is super powerful. You see, my past may be a part of me, but experiencing the power of the resurrection means it will not define me. I'm not asking you to forget your past. I'm not asking you to block it out. I'm not asking you to act like those terrible things didn't happen. I mean, Paul could not escape his past. He was Saul, he had persecuted Christians. So it's a part of him, but it's no longer defining him. And for many of us, that's where things get a little ambiguous. We're not exactly sure what to do with that. So we know we have a past. We know that there's pain. We know that there's the resurrection. But what are we supposed to do? Well, the way that we move forward is we begin to experience the healing that God can offer us when we experience that kind of God. And that may be where you are. Like you, you really do wanna move on from your past because you know this, life is moving forward with or without you. I mean, you know this, your past is only your past as long as it's not defining your present. Like we all know these things. And in fact, in church sometimes and, and even other believers, I think that we actually can, can make things worse. We don't think we're trying to, but, but I think that, that we don't always know what to do. And so, for example, maybe you've unpacked something in a group before, with a pastor before, and, and like they've said things like, hey, you know, listen, I know that happened. I know that was terrible, but, you know, we kind of have to move on, and eventually we have to leave the past in the past, and, and you know, God has a, a plan for your future, and God has a bright thing, and like, and you're tracking with them as far as what they're saying, because you know that what they're saying is true, but see, here's the problem. It's just not very helpful. And for a lot of Christians, there's a disconnect between the truth of God's word and the reality of their life. It's like, I know that God's word is true and I wanna believe with everything in me that it's true. But like, I don't, how do I do that? Do I just sit and like believe it and say it over and over like 10 times? Does that make sure? Like it's not matching my experience. And, and at some point, like there starts to become a disconnect where unless this is actually gonna get all up in the business and the details of my life, I'm not sure the benefit of this until I get to heaven one day. And I'm glad I get to go to heaven one day. Don't hear me wrong. But like, I'm dealing with some real things right now and I don't know what to do about it. And people keep saying things like, let go and let God. <laughs> that is not in the Bible. <laughs> Anywhere. Save you the time. It's well intended, it's just not helpful. Here's why. What's real is more significant than what's true. What's real in our lives is more significant than what's true. And if somebody just keeps telling you something that's true without acknowledging whatever experience has landed you in your real, it's not gonna help. Let me see if I can illustrate. There was a, a couple, they were foster parents. They brought in an elementary-aged little boy and uh, brought him in that evening, got up the next morning, getting ready to take him to school. And the dad looks at him and says, hey, I will be there at 3.30 today to pick you up in Carlisle. And as soon as he says that, the little boy just has a meltdown. Just has a meltdown and uncontrollable. And, and they finally, they're able to kind of you know, pull things together. And, and what they realize from talking to him and making a few phone calls is that for this little boy's life, 
every time an adult has ever told him that that adult would pick him up at Carline, that adult has never shown up once. He's never been picked up at Carline, not one time. And so when that foster dad from a good place in his heart said, hey, I'll pick you up tomorrow at 3.30. Here's all the little boy had to go off of. Being picked up at Carline means I stand out there with all of these other kids and I watch them one at a time get picked up from a loving parent. Sometimes the loving parent even brought along the family pet. And this is a really joyous experience for every single one of these kids. And as they begin to get in these cars one at a time, my anxiety begins to rise because I begin to wonder, is it about to happen again? And then it does when he recognizes he's all alone and everybody else has been picked up. It's at that point that an administrator comes out and gets the little boy and takes him to the after-school program. So when that dad said, I'll pick you up at 3.30 tomorrow, that is the only thing real in that little boy's life. Now this dad, at that moment, he cannot look at that little boy and said, hey man, here's the thing. I was in church last Sunday and this pastor, he preached out of Philippians chapter three and there's actually a verse that says, forgetting what is behind, okay? That's in the past. You need to forget about that. His mercies are new every morning. Oh, did I do that? Do y'all see what can happen here? So he's telling him something that's true. Hey, first day of the rest of your life, Forget what is behind. His mercies are new every morning. And oh, by the way, I didn't even have anything to do with that. So we're gonna move on and we're gonna move forward and we're gonna stand on the truth that I will pick you up at 3.30 today. Let me tell you something. That's a bad move if that dad makes that move because he only has one move. The only move he can make is to make sure at 3.30 that day, he's there to pick up that little boy. And then he better pick him up the next day and the next week and the next month, and it might take a year of being there every single day on time to pick up that little boy so that one day, eventually, when he looks at that little boy and he says, I will pick you up at 3.30 today, the response from the little boy is one of joy. Why? Because now what is true matches for that little boy what is real. Y'all see where I'm going with this? And for some of you, you've never known that side of God. You know that he's true. You know that he's big. You know he created everything. You know he gave us the Bible. You know that he gave us church. I'm not saying you don't, but you've never stopped to consider that God actually looks at you as one of his children. And see, in that story, we... We're the little boy or the little girl who's been adopted into God's family through Jesus Christ. And God knows when he adopts us into his family through Jesus Christ, we bring all kind of baggage to the family table. We bring all kind of experiences. We bring all kind of things that have been real for us. And see, God is so good and so gracious with us that when he gives us things in his word and our life experience says that might be true, but that doesn't match my real, God doesn't come down on us. He doesn't say, well, listen, I need you to move on. I sent my son for you. Isn't that enough? I mean, look, let's go. I, mean, I got all kinds of verses for this. That is not our God, our heavenly father. God, our heavenly father is the good, gracious dad that will show up on time every time to pick you up every day in car line. That's the kind of father he is. See, God is more faithful to you than you could ever imagine being faithful to him. 
God will demonstrate his trustworthiness to you when you are trustless to him. This is God, our heavenly father. And if it takes God years to prove to you that he is that loving father, I need you to hear me this morning, church. That's exactly what he will do. He loves you that much. He's not gonna leave you where you are at. He pursues you daily. He is after you with a love you could never imagine. And if you will open your heart to him and say, God, I don't understand everything about you. And God, there's a lot of questions I have. But God, I, on some level, I wanna just say that if, if, if you're actually pursuing me, I'm open to experiencing you. And I'm open to experiencing you in a way where I begin to see how you can move in my life. Because see, when you're in a place of hurt from pain in the past, what you need is not one more statement that's true, but an encounter with a real and living God. And God wants to give you that. Our passage concludes with verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. It's kind of a warning. Paul said, man, I know this is hard. Talk about this. I'm in jail. I'm in prison. I'm writing this to you. We've all got some things from our past and there's hurt and there's pain. We gotta press on. We gotta leave the past behind. There's a lot happening here. But at some point, like if, if you're not rolling with this, God is going to make this clear to you. Now listen, God doesn't make this clear to you in a way where he's coming down on you. God makes this clear to you because he loves you way too much for you just to stay there, just to stay there in that pain, okay? So ultimately, what Paul's trying to help us say, see, because he uses this phrase maturity, is that maturity is actually marked not by hidden wounds, but by visible scars. And this one's hard, especially if you're somebody who likes to be a part of church. I love to be a part of church. I've been parts of church my whole life, okay? I know that's not everybody's story, that's my story, right? Sometimes in church, we're really bad at this. Like we go through things that hurt us. Someone asks us how we're doing. They don't wanna know how we're doing. They want us to say fine and smile and move on. Y'all know the drill, okay? So what happens eventually is we really don't ever talk about the real things because that just doesn't seem spiritual. And if I admit that this happened to me, or if I admit that I'm going through this, what are people gonna think? Because it seems like when I get to church, there's a lot of people who have it all together. I mean, there's John and Mary and their 2.5 kids and their minivan, and they just always seem to have it together, right? Can I tell you, John and Mary do not have it all together, right? Those 2.5 kids are a train wreck and the minivan, they don't even own it yet, all right? They're making payments, right? So we all got this like facade that everything's great when it's not. And, and this can very easily, even in a great church like this, it can become the air we breathe. And I'm just saying, hey, I mean, isn't it time we all just move past that? And just talk about the real things. Talk about what's really going on. Experience healing that can happen. And see, maturity then is not marked by people who seem like they always have it together. It's actually marked by people who did the difficult work of leaning into the wound and kind of going there in the depth of the pain so that they could eventually experience healing. And now instead of a wound, what they have is a scar. They have a scar. Y'all know every scar has a story, right? Every scar has a story. My, my dad, growing up as a kid, 
I always noticed he had this gigantic scar on his chest. It was huge. And like, we'd be at the beach or at the pool and I was always kind of like, oh, my dad has a scar. But like, I wasn't gonna ask about it because, you know, I wasn't sure if I could, just if I can be honest, right? And I got about in the eighth grade and uh, we were at the beach one day and um, my dad's like, hey, let's go for a walk. So we go for a walk. And he's like, have you ever wondered how I got the scar? And I'm like, no, sir. You know, I didn't know what to say, right? You know, <laughs> never, you know, so... Uh, so I was like, yeah, kind of. And uh, he's like, well, I was 19 years old. And um, he's like, you know, I didn't become a Christian until after you were born. He said, so I had about a 10 year run there, man, where it wasn't good. I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. And even now looking back, I can see how gracious and good God was being to me. And he had his hand on my life even before I acknowledged it. He said, I was 19 years old. And he said, I pulled up in a parking lot to meet some buddies of mine and they had already gotten there. And there were some other guys that pulled up and, they started running their mouths and he's like, I was a fighter. And he said, you know, so I just jumped in and started fighting because that's what you did. And he goes, and the fight was going pretty well until somebody pulled out a knife and uh, he started slashing at me. And he said, I had to have 150 stitches. And um, he looked at me and he said, hey, listen, you got a lot going for you, but don't forget like the enemy can use anything he wants to get you off track. So as you kind of get older and you kind of get into some situations, like you need to learn when to leave and you need to learn when to, you know, and my mom, your mom and I are gonna always do our best to make sure you have a car so you're not riding with somebody else. Like, but you just need to know, like, there's gonna be some things that happen in life you've gotta be aware of and you're getting older. And, um, and I'm just think, sitting there thinking, and all these years later, like, I can tell you that story. Like, I'm there with him again that day. Let me tell you my dad recognized the power of a story from a scar. And he chose to tell a story from a scar that helped his son. See, the amazing thing about a scar that gives you a story is God says, now what do you wanna do with this story? What do you wanna do with this story? And for many of you, sometimes you think, well, it's only like the things that we did that were tied to church or tied to God that give us these great scars. No, my dad was like, this happened before I was walking with Jesus, but he's still using that scar to tell a great story. And see, that's a physical scar, but I'm talking about the emotional, the emotional wounds that need to turn into scars so that you can tell a story. Listen, I know this is difficult to hear, and I may not even say it the right way, so y'all give me a little bit of grace here. Whatever has caused a great wound in your life is the greatest opportunity for God to tell a story with your life. But you've gotta get healing. You've gotta take it from a wound to a, to a scar. See, some of you right now, you're living in the wound of a failed marriage. It's never what you intended. It's never what you wanted. And, and it is what it is. And you're not exactly sure what to do with it. And here's what the enemy would love to do. He would love for you to define yourself by that wound. Hi, my name is, this is my story. But see, that's not your story. You're, you're in a chapter in your story. Y'all know every good story has multiple chapters, right? You're living in this chapter and you're in the middle of the wound. And here's what God says, I will meet you in that wound. And if you'll let me, I'll bring about some healing. Now, to the degree that you've been wounded is to the degree that we're gonna have to enter into a process, all right? See, time doesn't heal all wounds, but Jesus does. But sometimes, 
He needs a little more time with some wounds than others. But you're living in this chapter and the enemy's trying to tell you that's your story. But see, here's the thing. About five chapters later in your story, right about here, you're gonna be telling a different story in a different chapter from a place of healing. You're no longer carrying a wound in this chapter. You're carrying a scar. And this is how our God works. He looks at all of us and he says, what about your life has caused you the most pain? And we all know that. And here's what God says, watch this. And what he does is he takes that and he heals it. And in a way that we could never have imagined, he leaves us with a scar, with a beautiful story from something back in our past that we would have never chosen and never desired. And many of you right now, you are sitting on an amazing story. You're sitting on an amazing story. As long as you enter into the healing of the wound. And if you enter into the healing of the wound, oh, I'm about to preach. Let me tell you what'll happen. That person from a failed marriage right here, hey, down the road, guess what? In a marriage that honors God. Can I get an amen? In a marriage that honors God. Pastor, if you could just see my finances, we filed for bankruptcy. I don't know where we're gonna go. Somebody did something to me. I hear you, but listen, you're just in a chapter of the story because here's the thing by faith, about a few chapters down the road, here's what I see, God blessing you from a place of abundance. That's our God, church. That's our God. Say, Pastor, but, but my son is in rehab. The enemy got him. And I don't know what I did to contribute to this. And I hear you, but see, that's just a chapter. But let me tell you something, about five chapters later in your story, your son is going to be healed. He's going to be healed. Church, I could keep you here all day with story after story after story. This is what our God does. He meets us in the wound. He heals the wound. He gives you a scar so you can tell a story. Would you join me as we pray together this morning? And so God, we just say thank you. God, we just say thank you. Only you could take the wounds of our life, say, watch this, and turn it into a story that only you could tell. God, it's the story of scripture. It's the story of 2,000 years of church history. And God, we want it to be the story of our lives as well. But God, for a lot of us, that means it's about time to come clean. Quit hiding the wounds, the major wounds that have produced major pain, the minor wounds that have compounded that have produced major pain. God, thank you that you don't leave us where we're at. God, for many of us, this time of response needs to be the starting place where they see you as a loving father where they experience your presence. And so God, would you just pour out your presence in this place? And God, as we come to you today, we do not come to you on the basis of our faithfulness to you. God, we come to you on the basis of your faithfulness to us, for pursuing us over and over, for loving us over and over, for saying that we're worthy when we know we're not worthy. So God, we worship you because of that. God, may there be many stories from the scars of your people here at New Hope Church. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.